Um, it's been a week where I haven't had much of a voice, so it's come back a little bit today. So I'm going to let the mic do the work today. So you won't hear any fire and brimstone from me this morning. No ranting and raving, throwing things or anything like that this morning. It's going to be uh, a little bit more low-key just to uh, keep my voice together. I do want to say thanks to Mark Clifton for uh, being here today. Um, no one has impacted my life in ministry more directly than him. And uh, so I'm very thankful, very meaningful to have him here today. Uh, he works for the North American Mission Board in the church replanning area. And uh, the North American Mission Board is trying to save dying churches all across our country. And this is the, the godfather of it right here. And so uh, a lot of what we've done here at Leewood is we revitalize, as we replant here. Uh, a lot of that method behind the madness is him. And so if you're mad at me, be mad at him and about the changes we're making. So you can take it up with him. Uh, he's here today, and he's really good at handling that. I'm just kidding, uh, kind of. But uh, uh, he, he, he is the godfather of replanting. That's how I, I introduce him often. And so it's thankful to have him here as well. Take your Bibles to turn to John chapter 1. We're going to walk through this this morning. You have some notes there in your worship guide. And so that'll help us guide our time going through John. We as a faith family are going through the Gospel of John for about the next year. Going through verse by verse, we've seen how John has written this Gospel to show us to believe in Jesus. Now, when we look at this book, we could easily apply this book and think, well, this book is for unbelievers, those who do not believe Jesus. Now, that's true. That's true. This book is written for unbelievers, but also for those of us that are Christians, that are believers, to build us up in the faith and to give us more and more confidence in who Jesus is. And so that is uh, why we're going through this book as a faith family. So turn to John chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 35. And it says this, The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. Now again, we saw this last week. John the Baptist saw Jesus. And, <coughs> excuse me. He said, This is, this is um, the one, the Lamb of God, who's here to take away the sin of the world. We talked about that. That's a huge statement here. It's a huge statement. Biblical history, redemptive history points to this, and we see this. Turn over to Exodus chapter 29. We didn't have time to look at this last week, so turn over to Exodus chapter 29. I want you to see this. John the Baptist, he gives Jesus the title of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I want us to see here this morning, why is he saying this? All the Old Testament points to the coming Messiah. The Messiah is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So look at Exodus chapter 29 and look at verse 28. And he says this, This will belong to Aaron and his sons as a regular portion from the Israelites for its contribution. It will be the Israelites' contribution from their fellowship sacrifices, their contribution to the Lord. The holy garments that belong to Aaron are to belong to his sons after him so that they can be anointed and ordained in them. Any priest who is one of his sons who succeeds him and enters the tent of meeting to minister in the sanctuary must wear them for seven days. You are to take the ram 
of ordination and boil its flesh in a holy place. Aaron and his sons are to eat the meat of the ram and the bread that is in the basket at the entrance to the tent of meeting. So right here we see a ram that is sacrificed. All throughout the Old Testament, lambs and animals are being sacrificed because people are constantly sinning. You might ask, why don't we sacrifice animals today? Well, because Jesus came as the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. We don't need lambs anymore. Jesus is the better sacrifice. So John the Baptist is alluding to that. Let's keep going. Look at verse 37. The two disciples heard him say this and followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and noticed them following him, he asked them, what are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and you'll see, he replied. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. It was about four in the afternoon. So two of John the Baptist's disciples hear what he says. They hear what John the Baptist says. This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so they hear this, and they follow Jesus. There's a natural curiosity there that they're going to go and follow Jesus. Because of the statement that John the Baptist says. So Jesus sees these two fellows following them. And Jesus asked them a question. What was that question? You have it there in your copy of the Word of God. What was that question? Jesus says, what are you looking for? Now on a surface level, we could easily think, oh, Jesus is basically saying, why are you following me? Why are you, in our language today, why are you stalking me? Why are you following me? Why are you giving me a hard time? Why are you following me around? This is kind of weird. So on a surface level, we could think that Jesus is curious. Why are these two guys following me? But one thing we need to understand about Jesus, Jesus is very intentional in his questions. So this is not a question of where are you? This is a much, why are you following me? This is a much deeper question than that. So what is Jesus says in verse 37? What are you looking for? Why are you following me? He was asking something deeper than these guys even realized. So in verse 38, these guys then asked him, where are you staying? Now isn't that kind of odd? Like if you had just met someone, you wouldn't say, where are you staying? And they're basically inviting themselves over. But they don't get it here. They're not getting it here. They, I think Jesus is asking them simply, what are you at, looking for? They want to go and see where he's staying But Jesus never wastes an opportunity. One thing is we're going to see in this study through the Gospel of John is that people follow Jesus all the time, but they were looking for the wrong thing. Some people were looking for Jesus simply so they wanted to see the circus. Jesus was performing miracles. They wanted to see the magic show. We see this in John 6. We'll see this in a few weeks. John 6, 26 Jesus fed the 5,000. He tells them, you're not following me because you know who I am. You just want more bread. You want your fill of bread. So Jesus is always looking at the inside. He's looking at people's motives. He's probing at motives. So if we ask the question, we have to ask this question. If you're a believer this morning, why do you follow Jesus? Why do you follow Jesus? Why are you here this morning? Why am I here this morning? Maybe you came here this morning because you wanted to hear the music. Maybe you've come to this church for years and years and years, so this is what you do on Sundays. 
Maybe you come to hear this horse pastor trying to gut his way through a sermon. Why are you here this morning? Is it because, why are you a Christian? Why are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Is it because we were raised that way? It's all we know. Or is it because we understand who he is? And we believe who, he's, who he is, what he's done for us, and providing a relationship with God. Do we follow Jesus? Sometimes we follow Jesus because we're trying to get something in return, right? Sometimes we follow Jesus because we're really good at looking at our lives in a cost-benefit analysis. We follow Jesus because I'm going to get something out of Jesus. He's going to have his hand of blessing on my life. That could be health, wealth, whatever. Just things going well in our lives. Why do we follow Jesus? It could be here, you could be here this morning. We have a large group here this morning. You could be here and you're skeptical about Jesus. You've heard about him, but you're really, really skeptical about him. Well, just like with these two guys here, we're all on a quest. We're on a quest for truth. So if you're here this morning, it could be you're looking for truth and you want to see who Jesus is. So at one level, it could mean Jesus is simply asking, why are you following me? What are you looking for? And these guys are at the surface level. They want to see where he's saying. But in the mind of Christ, in the mind of the, gospel, the writer of this gospel, John, this meant come, you will see, and you will see spiritual reality. I'm going to give you spiritual sight. And so as we continue through this gospel of John and see and believe who Jesus is, we see here that first, number one, why is this not working? Come on, technology. Can you click through it, Daniel? We see that Jesus gives spiritual sight, number one. Jesus gives spiritual sight. And as I said just a second ago, and I said last week, every one of us is on a, on a quest for truth. We want to know the truth about the universe. We want to know about the meaning of life. We want to know what is right, what is wrong. Well, Jesus came, and he is the flashlight. As we saw a couple of weeks ago that Jesus is light, he reveals truth. He reveals truth. So you may be here today and you might want to argue with me and you say, Adam, is there really truth? Is there absolute truth? Well, first of all, that's a contradiction because you're making an absolute statement. So yes, there is absolute truth. You're using an absolute. And if you're saying there is no truth, then you are saying it is true that there is no truth. So you're completely contradicting yourselves. So we all have to understand at one level together, there is truth. There is truth. What we have to find in our lives, what is the standard of truth? What is that standard for truth? And it can't be you and me. See, in our culture today, we have this idea of, I can decide truth for myself, right? You hear that? Just trust your heart. That's terrible advice. We, we, our culture teaches us that we are the source of truth, but we can't be the source of the truth. Why? I can't be the source of truth because I have my flaws and I have my biases. And you can't be the source of truth because you have your flaws and your biases. So something has to be the measure of truth. There has to be a standard of truth. And John here in his gospel, he's presenting the argument to us that it's Jesus. That Jesus is a standard of truth. 
And John is trying to present him in a way to believe him. And so he shows here that Jesus gives spiritual sight. Jesus says to every one of us, if you follow me, I'm going to show you things that you never understood before. Coming to Jesus in John's gospel time and time again means entrusting ourselves to Jesus, trusting that he knows and we don't, and receiving his promises. So they go and stay with Jesus for the rest of the day. So let's, keep, let's see what happens here in verse 40. Let's keep going. Verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him. He first followed his brother, Simon, and told him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought Simon to Jesus. Sorry, so now we learn one of the names of the guys who spent the day with Jesus, Andrew. Andrew's an interesting guy. He's not in, mentioned a lot throughout the Gospels, but Andrew and these two guys, one of them being Andrew, they've definitely seen who Jesus is because they move to action. And you will see over and over again, when people realize who Jesus is, they are moved to action. They don't, don't stay stagnant. They don't stay the same. They are moved to action. So if you and I are a believer this morning and we understand who Jesus is, we need to be a people of action. Here at Leewood we say we share Jesus, we disciple believers, and we reach the nations. So as people of Christ, as followers of Jesus, we need to be people of action. We've got our godfather of church revitalization, of replanting here. And one thing Mark would tell us all, that churches that are dying and declining are stagnant. They're not doing anything. Churches that understand who Jesus is are churches of action. So that's what we see in these disciples. They understand who Jesus is and they go and Andrew gets his brother, Simon Peter. And he tells him, we have found the Messiah. Jesus begins this relationship with Andrew by saying, what are you looking for? And now Andrew's telling his brother, Simon, we have found the Messiah. So initially, Andrew was just wanting to know more about Jesus. Now he's bringing Peter to Jesus, Simon Peter to Jesus. So we, Andrew found something about Jesus. He found out something about Jesus, and he's like, this is worth sharing with someone. So what did he find? Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. Because these two guys, they came to Jesus, spent time with him, they saw and they understood. Faith family, the point here is that if you go after Jesus, you follow after Jesus, you will see. You will see spiritual reality. You will see truth. I will see truth. We will see the key that unlocks the meaning of life and all things. Andrew found his brother Simon. He tells him, we found the Messiah. We found the Christ. We'll see more about this next week. And Simon brings, or Andrew brings Simon to Jesus. And Jesus looks at him and says, you are Simon. But here's what's interesting here. Jesus and Simon, they had never met before. They'd never met before. And yet Jesus knows who he is. Folks, Jesus, because of his, his deity, he knows everything about us. He knows everything about you. He knows everything about me. He knows our deepest, darkest secrets. Scripture tells us he knows how many hairs are on your head, some of us more than others. But Jesus knows everything about us. And we see what happens when Simon sees Jesus 
What does Jesus do? Jesus changes his name. Now, we might find odd that Jesus does that. He changes his name. But we need to understand biblical context here. We need to understand biblical history. In the Bible, names mean everything. Names are really important. And throughout Scripture, we'll see occasionally people's names are changed. We see a name change in Scripture. In Genesis 17, Abram's name was changed from what? Abram to Abraham. And there's no real reason why Jesus changes Simon's Peter's name to Cephas in Aramaic and Peter in Greek. In Matthew 16, Jesus gave an explanation that Peter or Petros means rock and he will find his church. But the point of that passage is not to point the glory of Christ, is the point of Christ, not the glory of Peter. So he changes his name. He says, I'm going to call you Peter. I'm going to call you the rock. Now, not Dwayne Johnson. He says, I'm going to call you Peter. We see that Jesus changes a person's identity. When we are exposed to Jesus Christ, Jesus changes who we are. There's a complete 180. Faith family, there's no better identity for your life and my life than the one Jesus can give you. See, we're all searching for truth. We are all, when we're born into this world, with an identity crisis. We're trying to find who we are, and Jesus defines our identity. That's a freeing reality. So let me tell you, don't chase after some shallow reality, some shallow identity. Seek Christ, and he will define your identity. Don't find your identity in who you are. Don't find your identity in who your family is. Find your identity in who Jesus Christ is because he will change you. He changes a person's identity. Let's keep going. Verse 43. The next day, 24 hours later, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. He found Philip and told him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida. That's the hometown of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law. And so did the prophets. Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathanael asked him. Come and see, Philip answered. Then Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said about him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. So Jesus decides to leave Galilee. And on his way, he's leaving Galilee. He finds Philip and tells him to follow him. This command here, this is an imperative it's interesting that Jesus initially started out with Andrew and the other disciple of John the Baptist. He said, what are you looking for? He asked a question. Now he's telling Philip, he says, follow me. There's an imperative, a command given. And through this command with Philip saying, follow me, drop everything and follow me, we see that Jesus has all authority. Jesus has all authority. Jesus is taking the initiative with Philip. You might ask, we could ask, what gives Jesus the right to tell Philip to follow him? What gives Jesus the right to do that? Remember what we've seen previously in this first chapter of John. We've seen that Jesus is the Word, right? John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So we've seen that Jesus was God in human flesh. 
We saw that he was the creator. He created all things. We've seen that he's a source of all truth, that he's a son of God and therefore God. So if you're even remotely fair in understanding who Jesus is, if you're remotely fair, Jesus has the right to initiate that call to us. Jesus has all authority because he's God. So Philip follows Jesus. And what did he do? Look there. What did he do? He went and got Nathaniel. And he tells Nathaniel, we have found the one that Moses and the prophets wrote about Jesus. He's the son of Joseph from Nazareth. And Nathaniel's response, what was his response? Look there for yourself. What's his response? Can anything good from, come from Nazareth? Now that's kind of a snarky remark, isn't it? All right? That'd be kind of like for some of us, if some of you here are from Kansas, you might say, can anything good come from Missouri? Right? Or maybe people from Missouri here in Kansas City, can anything good come from Kansas? Right? Or from a national level, I hope there's no one here from Detroit, but we might say, can anything good come from Detroit? I mean, like, or Cleveland, or wherever, whatever city you don't like. Nazareth had a bad reputation. It was poor. It was run down. And so Nazareth did not have a good reputation. So Nathaniel says, well, can anything good come from Nazareth? That's a pretty powerful statement. And what does Philip say? He says, come and see. Let me show you who Jesus is. So let's go to verse 47. Then Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said about him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Verse 48. How do you know me, Nathanael asked? Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you, Jesus answered. Rabbi, Nathanael replied, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus responded to him, do you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. Then he said, truly I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Pretty powerful moment here. It's interesting how much Jesus knows about Nathaniel. Again, he knew Peter. They had never met. And here he meets Nathaniel. They had never met. And what does Jesus say about him? Jesus says, I know you. You're a man without deceit. See, Jesus, without even meeting Nathaniel, knows what's going on inside his life. He knows him. He created him. He knows him. And so Jesus knows what's going on inside, inside of Nathaniel. And he says, you're a man without deceit. And then Nathaniel asked, well, how do you know this? How do you know me? And Jesus said, well, even before Philip came and got you, I saw you sitting under a fig tree. Wow. Jesus wasn't there at the fig tree with Nathaniel. So we see the deity of Jesus at full display here. He says, though I was not with you, I saw you. It's a big moment there. So even before Jesus and Nathaniel met, Jesus knew who he was. And what was Nathaniel's response? He says, Rabbi. 
you are the son of God. I would say so, right? I mean, if a guy is saying, I know everything about your life, I know everything about your character, and I saw you sitting under the fig tree, yeah, I think you and I would probably say, yeah, you've got to be something. You are the son of God, was Nathaniel's response. But Jesus goes even deeper with Nathaniel, doesn't he? Because look again at verse 50. Jesus says, do you believe because I told you, I saw you under the fig tree? So Jesus gets right to the heart of the issue. He says, do you believe me because you really believe who I am? Or do you believe me because I said I saw you under the fig tree? So again, we have an emphasize here. Jesus knows everything about us. Jesus knows everything about you. He knows your deepest, darkest secrets. He knows your past. Now, for some of us, that's really convicting that Jesus could know everything about us because all, we all keep secrets, right? We have things that we don't want people to know about us. We're really good at putting up facades. Jesus sees right through that. Jesus knows everything about us. So that's convicting. But folks, let it also be comforting that Jesus, as the Son of God, knows your exact condition. He knows right where you're at. He knows right now if you're sitting here and you're doubting him. You could be here. I was having a conversation with a guy this week with Hindu background, trying to find out who Jesus is. Who's Jesus? Why did, why did God the Father have him crucified? Isn't that funny? We just talked about that as a family a few weeks ago. Wanting to know. He had doubts. Folks, Jesus knows your doubts. He knows my doubts. He knows your condition. Let that be comforting. He knows exactly what you're going through. Because the reality for us is we will never, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, we will never be in a situation that Jesus is not fully aware of what's going on around us. So if you're here and you're skeptical about Jesus, allow that to motivate you to believe this is the Son of God. This is the Messiah. Believe him. And if you're a believer this morning, allow that to be comforting to you. That Jesus knows exactly what's going on in your life. That's why he became a man. God became a man to identify with us as human beings. Jesus knows everything about us. Now, we've seen all of this. This is all, you might say, Adam, this is really good information. Now, what do we do with it? With some application. First, number one, when we seek truth, Jesus is the answer. Right now, if you are seeking truth, if you're looking for truth in your life, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. He's the answer. You say, Adam, that's so simplistic. I know. I know. But the theme of this book that we're walking through is believe. Believe. When we seek truth, Jesus is the answer. And then number two, what are our motives in following Jesus? Jesus asked twice. He said, what are you looking for? The two disciples, John the Baptist, they're, they're following him. What are you looking for? With Nathaniel, he said, you just believe because I told you were sitting on our fig tree. What are our motives in following Jesus? When we ask those questions, 
and he calls us to himself through the Holy Spirit, we will see that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Christ, just as these disciples did. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And God, we've seen a pretty clear picture of who Jesus is in your word. And God, I pray that the word would do the work in our lives. I pray if there's anyone here that is seeking truth, maybe they're skeptical, I pray that through your word that they would see Jesus and that you would call them to yourself, that you would open their eyes to who you are, that through the Holy Spirit, Jesus, that you would tell them to follow to follow you. And I pray for those that are here or that are believers, that are Christians. I pray that we would be evaluating our lives and ask the questions, why are we following you? Why do we do what we do? I pray that you would help us to never follow you out of some kind of selfish gain or cost-benefit analysis, but that it would be a desire to follow you and to ultimately to give our lives for you. We thank you, Jesus, for who you are and the work that you've done in our lives. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Roxanne's going to play for just a few moments, and we're just going to take a couple minutes as people to evaluate our lives. If you're here seeking truth, look to Jesus. If you're a believer here this morning, ask ourselves the question, why do we follow Jesus? What's our motives? And pray that the Holy Spirit would illumine in our lives that we would come to a greater realization of who Jesus is, that he's the Son of God, he's the Messiah, he's the Christ, and he's worth following. So take a few minutes just to reflect, to meditate on these truths, and we'll close our service in prayer.